from the Los Angeles Times, this is Can't Stop Watching, your TV faves on their TV faves. I'm your host, Yvonne Villarreal. On today's episode, we can't stop watching MJ Rodriguez in the FX drama Pose. She plays Blanca Rodriguez Evangelista, a young house mother hoping to secure her legacy in New York City's ballroom scene. We'll talk to MJ about some standout moments from season two, like singing Whitney Houston's version of the Star Spangled Banner. Well, one, I was so nervous. Miss Whitney Houston is the queen. So if I didn't do it justice, I felt like I would like be letting her down. We'll also hear about the Hollywood stars MJ looked up to as a kid and the Japanese anime show she can't get enough of right now. So let's get to it. MJ, I'll start with a question that I have found myself answering a lot more honestly these days. How are you doing? Whew. Okay, well, I'm doing pretty well now. I would say a couple of days ago, I was in a very foggy and cloudy place. Three days ago, I lost my grandmother to COVID-19. And then a week ago, I also lost my aunt to COVID-19. So, It's been a very bumpy, bumpy ride. Wow. There are certain things I try to do to distract myself from it. I'm writing as much as I can. I've been writing this series that I've been writing like forever. It first was a comic book and now it's like become this little series. And I'm deciding on whether I want it to still be a series or a movie. But those are the things that like I try to distract myself from. But even when I'm doing that, my mind escapes and I go right back to what has happened and um, knowing that I have to like really focus on now two funerals. So it's been really, really, really weird. I'm still happy. I still keep myself uplifted. When I'm not writing and when I'm not focusing on my artistic side, I'm definitely playing some games. That's what really takes my mind off of things. <laughs> so it's been a, a, a weird little patch, but I'm, I think I'm finally in a much more stable place now than I was a couple of days ago and also a week ago. I'm so sorry to hear that you're going through that. That's a lot to deal with, especially when you feel so helpless, like you can't do much, like you can't be with your family. You can't have those hugs and comfort each other right now. I don't know how that would be. I'll say it's been a blessing because I'm actually, thankfully, here with my 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 family all of us are in the house. We've definitely been social distancing from each other. Um, but when we do have moments to go downstairs and chat, we definitely do that because, I mean, as all families do, they need some kind of social interaction. Thankfully, there have been not that many people leaving out of the house. You know, we do have someone in the house that's on the front lines who's working as an essential healthcare worker. He is the mostly the main one. And aside from my uncle who goes through dialysis a couple of times, that's pretty much it. So overall, it's been kind of rewarding to have them here because if I was by myself, I would probably be a complete wreck. Wow. You had just begun shooting season three of Pose when production shut down because of concerns about the spread of coronavirus. Mm-hmm. What do you remember about those early days? Were you worried about catching it? Okay, so to be quite honest, at first I thought I did not have it. And I just remember going to work and 
there were no symptoms or anything whatsoever when I went to work. So those days that I were there, they were nothing but beautiful. I mean, we were eight days in the shooting, first and second episode, and we were just working our butts off, you know, making it happen. And then it shut down. We got noticed that it was shutting down. And I was like, oh my God. And then there were so many things that had come into my mind even before we had even got that notice. I remember flying back from Italy for Fashion Week. And this was literally a day after the world had gotten noticed that Italy had gotten hit with their first case. And as we all know, the quote-unquote first case doesn't necessarily mean it's the first case. It could just be the first case they found within that time, but it could have been there before we had even known about it. So I had all those things, all those thoughts rush into my mind, like, oh my God, did I have it? Do I have it? And um, then after Pose had shut down, I started developing actually a really horrible cough and I couldn't breathe. And I was like, oh my God, I just hope this isn't it. And mind you, I mean, at this time, things had started fluctuating with hospitals and individuals weren't able to get testing. So I wasn't able to get testing. So I just had to fare things out. And I had to really take precautions as to staying in the house, staying six feet away from people, staying in and being quarantined. My boyfriend had already been quarantined for um, two weeks before he had went back to work. And it was obviously because of precautions. He hadn't shown any signs, but they knew that he had traveled outside of the country. So they just took the right precautions, being that it was at a nursing home. It was all a whirlwind. I was extremely happy being back at work. But it kind of also made me sad because not only was I dealing with some of these things and knowledge knowing that I could have possibly had it, but I also knew that work was going to be probably stopping and I had to find ways to still be artistic without work. So, yeah, it was it was really it was weird. (laughs) I would have gone into paranoid mode just thinking I might have had it. Were you sort of freaking out during that time? Oh, yes. I'm an extreme hypochondriac. If I get a cut, I think I have the worst deadly disease ever. And it might just be, you know, a regular paper cut, you know. So I was definitely on edge in the beginning stages of everything happening. I was taking all precautions, putting gloves on, taping tape around my gloves so I wouldn't, (laughs) you know, either be infected or affect other people because I really care about the human race. Like, that's a big thing about me. I care about the human race and the earth. So I was like, I don't want to hurt anyone. I don't want to put them in the line of fire if I do have this. So tape around my gloves. I was wearing masks. I would put my, like, hat on my head. I would just make sure everything was protected. I was extremely in paranoid mode. Well, I mean, here in California, as you know, most of us have been staying at home since March 19th. Mm -hmm. And you talked a little bit about this, but I want to dive deeper into like what your days in quarantine look like. I mean, I've been following your Instagram and I wish I had as much confidence as you to post my dancing videos. But um, talk to me a little bit about how you're keeping busy (laughs) and sane during this time. Well, I mean, I've just been trying my best to do the things that I've always been doing after I come from work. Like when I'm done with filming, if I have an early day, I come back home and I'll either draw and finish the series that I've been doing. It's like a comic slash like anime. So I've been definitely drawing and writing. I'll sing when I need to sing. 
for the most part, I really care about my following. I care about my supporters. I don't like to call them fans because that's like a phrase for fanatic. And I don't think my fans are fanatic. (laughs) But I tried to uplift as many people as possible, even when I'm in my down days, because that even makes me more happy. That makes me more um, secure knowing that there are people out there who are looking for something and also that I'm looking for something. I always try to make sure that I humble myself and know that I'm a human first and that I'm just like anyone else walking this earth. I mean, yes, I'm a celebrity now and that's really beautiful and I do have a wonderful platform, but Corona has decided and she has chosen that we're going to be seen as regulars in this specific pandemic. I mean, everyone is at home and basically the earth is like, go to your room. So everyone is on equal plane now. So what I've been doing is just making sure that everyone is okay, whether it be through their emotional stability, whether it be through their mental, obviously through social media. So it's been definitely fun. It's been curing. It's been nothing but a remedy for me. And I'm definitely going to keep doing it because it makes me extremely happy. And yeah, those are the things that I've been just doing, trying to make sure that the world is all right. You know, I, I may not be able to do it physically right now because we are captured in our houses and in our homes or in our apartments. But I know that my voice is even stronger. So I just try my best to use my voice in the right way. Well, have you caught up on any TV during this time? What are you watching? Oh, yes. It's been so many television shows I've been watching. Um, I've definitely been catching up on Sailor Moon. (laughs) (laughs) I just realized when I was younger, I was watching it for the antics and for the beauty and for, you know, the cartoon aspect of it. But then me and my boyfriend had like finally sat down and started watching it and started seeing that it really had some really, really important messages in it. So we've been watching that. I try to dibble and dabble in Ozark and I've been trying to catch up on American Horror Story. What else? I watched Tiger King and that was extremely crazy to me. So there's been a list of things that I've been like trying to mark down, but those are some of them. Can I just pause you for the for the people out there that don't know, can you tell us a little bit about your boyfriend if you're willing to share? <laughs> of course. Um So his name is Steven Gimliano. He's an amazing, amazing guy. Um, He actually is a writer as well, but he works also at a nursing home. So he's a caring individual and he's just a, a light. He has been nothing but a support system for me outside of this pandemic and especially inside of this pandemic. And all I can say is that he is the true depiction of a strong man. He is the true depiction of a man and what a man is supposed to provide for his girlfriend when she is in need of emotional stableness. (laughs) I mean, this is a question we're asking everyone right now, but it might actually have more profound resonance for your character in Pose. Blanca is a no-nonsense but encouraging mother of the House of Evangelista, but we learn in the second season that her HIV status has progressed into AIDS. And, you know, we're asking everyone, like, how do you think your character would handle the situation we're in now? I think Blanca would definitely handle it in the ways that she's always handled it. She's a fierce, strong woman who knows who she is, but also knows what she has to do for a group of individuals who are a part of her community, but just humans in general. I think she is a strong, strong figure of hope. And this time there is nothing but hope and there is nothing... But honestly, patience, we have to wait this thing out. Well, let's talk a little bit more about Pose. You've talked about how you were introduced to the ballroom scene when you were 14 years old. 
of what do you remember about stepping into that world? And what do you think the ballroom community gave you? When I stepped into that world, it was nothing but light. Literally and non-literally, if that makes sense. (laughs) There was a lot of lights and a lot of flash when it came to the outfits and it came to the personalities, but also just spiritually, there was nothing but positivity when I was there, when I saw it. So if I can say what I took from it is that. Also seeing the women like myself who paved the way at the age of 14 years old and also seeing the male individuals who were alongside them fighting for them as well. It was beautiful and it was also liberating to see. It was a monumental moment for me as a 14-year-old. Also being inducted into a house by my house father at the time, Timothy is J. Smart. No, it did not last that long, but the time that was spent in that house, it was beautiful and it was nothing but crazy fun, sometimes shady, but good shade, you know? (laughs) It was just nothing but light. I guess that's all I can really say. It was really, really happy moments for me. Well, season two begins with a time jump to 1990 and sort of frames the release of Madonna's Vogue as a moment of reckoning, like the mainstreaming of the community. How is it exploring that in this moment? Wow. Well, I'll say in 1992, when Madonna hit the scene with Vogue, it was definitely a wonderful eye-opener because our lives were being put on the forefront and people were actually starting to process and see us as actual humans. I mean, as you you know, and some others know, a lot of people like to put people in boxes and categories and stigmatize them. And, you know, that was the first step in moving the needle forward to not being stigmatized and not being put in a box. And I think as far as now, it rings true because even in 1992, when her song came out, there was also an epidemic going on with HIV and AIDS and how there was a stigma on that. And um, it just shows that we simply just have to be here for each other. That's how I see it. And I think that's what we fight for in the show, as well as integrity. Well, you have quite the scene partner this season in Miss Patty Lapone. Oh, yes. I need you to tell me what it was like to work with her. Like, what's your best Patty story? Have you been watching her quarantine basement videos? Talk to me. Oh, my God. Okay, so first and foremost, she would kill me if I didn't know about this. I have not seen that yet. But now that you've let me know about that, I will be definitely checking it out. (laughs) The best moment with her was we were doing a scene, and I don't know if you remember, it was in the nail salon, and she was going to shut my nail salon down. She was going to go any length to do it. Mm -hmm. And I remember Blanca just standing up to her, and I was like, how do I do this? Like, how do I not be MJ in this moment? Because with MJ, she just wants to hug Patty and just say, girl, you are an icon. But with Blanca, Blanca is like, no, you're not going to do this. This is my establishment. So... I channeled it, and when we were done with the scene, I remember her telling me, oh, you're you're a good little scene partner to work with, huh? She's like, I like working with you. That sent me over to the roof, because when you have an icon like that solidify what you've always wanted to hear, what you've always wanted to be known to the world, and you have someone who has been working in the business for so long tell you that you're a great partner to work with, it feels good. So that was one of my favorite moments with her, because... It was a really good scene that we shared together and it was solely based on us really just feeding off and throwing at each other and just living in the moment. It was really great. She's ruthless. Her character is so good. Yeah, she is. (laughs) 
I mean, the character development for Blanca in season two is quite striking. I mean, she's trying to start a nail business. Her kids have left, you know, the coop. She is a falling out with Pray Tell. What did you think about her journey in season two? What was the most challenging part of it for you? I think the most challenging part of her journey was her health scare. I think it put a lot of realization into her life and it showed her even the hardest parts of what life brings, but how she had to truly fight to get through it so that she can keep leaving her legacy. As we all know, women go through a gamut of hurdles and obstacles simply because a lot of individuals, specifically men, put us through them. And her aspirations with a business and being a a woman who's a part of a community that is the trans community and then her kids leaving her house and after her kids leave her house and through this tumultuous, crazy argument that kind of torn them. And then after that, her experiencing a health scare. It's something that I've seen happen to a lot of women, especially a lot of Black women, a lot of Latina women. And I just had to really tap into that. And I had to really make sure that I I did it the right way so every woman on the earth could see not only that individuals who are like Blanca go through this, but women in general, it does not matter if you're trans or if you're cis, just women in general go through this all the time. And we always prevail. For some reason, we always prevail. And um, that was the best journey to go through. It was a hard one. It was definitely a trying one when it came to her circumstances as her health worsened because, like I said, the realistic aspect of her getting HIV, it was heartbreaking because it it brought back all the memories of what the individuals in 1987, 1990, 1992, 1994, when the peak happened, it brought back all those memories of how so many people had to fight through even a stigma. So um, her journey was a really, really heavy one. But aside from it being heavy, there was so much beauty because she still made sure that she came through it. When she had her triumphant lip sync moment in the finale, she comes out and sings Whitney Houston's version of the Star Spangled Banner, which I know took a lot of negotiating to get clearance for that song. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but talk to me about how do you even prepare for something like that? And what was it like to sort of perform that in front of all those people? Well, one, I was so nervous. One... Miss Whitney Houston is the queen. So if I didn't do it justice, I felt like I would like be letting her down. (laughs) It was so nerve wracking and I was so nervous. I remember asking Janet Mock, oh my God, girl, was it okay? Was it like in sync? What was the lip sync? Okay. Do we need to do another take? And she's like, girl, don't worry about it. It's fine. (laughs) But I was just so focused on making sure I delivered it the right way because not only was it Whitney Houston and was it her singing the national anthem, but it was also a reckoning and it was also a um, strong point for the community in that moment to solidify that they belong in America as regular citizens. You know what I mean? So there was a lot on my plate. There was a lot on my shoulders for me. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say anyone else did it but myself because I'm just a perfectionist and I want to do it right. But there was a lot of weight on my head because I wanted to make sure that it was presented in the right way. And also to make sure the lip sync was, you know, fierce, honey. I couldn't just let Miss Whitney down. So 
I assure you, you did not. It was epic. Thank you. (laughs) Can I ask, like, what was your relationship to TV growing up? Is it especially gratifying to be on a show like Pose, like knowing that this is something that a large segment of the population are watching when, you know, so often you hear from trans actors that they have roles that have people in their community sort of always suffering and never having their chance to shine. So talk to me a little bit about growing up, what TV was like for you? What were the shows that you saw yourself in or didn't see yourself in? Television, I had an extremely close relationship with. I always used to watch TV. And I always actually used to learn from a lot of the actresses that were on television. Um, Obviously, and forgive me, but yes, a lot of predominant African-American women I would look to, like Angela Bassett and like Regina King, and also, you know, the Julia Roberts and, and the Nicole Kidmans, like, these were really strong female figures in my life. So I actually really looked to them because there, like you said, were no trans women to look to on the television screen. And also, when I left the ballroom scene, I left it at a pretty early age. I left at 17 years old. And when I was 16, I was dibbling and dabbling out of it because I was really focusing on my acting career. And the person that raised me was my mother, who is a cis woman. So most of my life was geared around how my mom raised me as a woman and what her womanhood entailed in my life. I would always look to cis women, strong, leading women in these shows. There were not that many shows that had women like myself on the television screen. Um, There were only usually heavy LGBTQ gay shows that would be on television, which I looked to as well. But just for reference to be happy and, and, and jovial and celebratory because they weren't even seen that much. And when they were on the screen, it was like, oh my God, we are finally making a step um, to being seen. And also just being seen in a regular light, at least almost. But yeah, my relationship was beautiful, but it was also very different because there was not a lot of me on the television screen. And it's even weird to say that because when I say not a lot of me, I'm like, well, what does that mean? Is it just tying just to the transness? Because, I mean, when it comes to womanhood and when it comes to being a woman, there were plenty of me on the screen, if that makes any sense. So it's 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 hard to explain sometimes. Even so, I know it's even hard when other individuals hear it, too. But, um, yeah, that was that was my, my journey with television. And I still stay true to it now. I'm very happy now that there are more women like myself that are leading and that are taking the forefront. I would say when I was younger, there was not that much. And the main things I looked at were other leading ladies that had already taken their place in the Hollywood industry. Well, we discussed this earlier about season three sort of halting production. Do you have any sense of when things will pick back up? And like, how are you feeling about getting back to work? Are you nervous? Are you going to approach it differently, you think? Well, one, I can tell you for sure we're definitely going to be starting right back after this whole pandemic is finished um, and it will surely be on a roll. I'm excited to get back to work because even though I am a bit of a introvert, and when I say a bit, I mean a lot, <laughs> um, I still love doing what I love to do. I love being able to portray different types of characters and convey different stories. I love being a storyteller. When My purpose is stripped away from me from circumstances that I cannot control. It sometimes makes me feel like I have to really find my purpose again, even though I know there is something that's going to be happening right afterwards. I have no worry. So um, I'm excited and I can't wait. I have 
both of the episodes uh, memorized. So I'm I'm more than prepared. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I'm excited. I, I love, love, love doing what I do. And I love making people happy. That's my main goal is making the audience members, the masses out there who haven't gotten a chance to see stories that haven't been told. And not just the the trans narrative, but just other stories of different individuals who may be misfits, who are not misfits, who are just different. I can't wait until I get back into that. So I'm I'm happy and excited and I can't wait until I dive back into Miss Blanca because I think more people want her <laughs> and I have no problem with giving it. Tell us more about these two episodes. Give us a tease about season three. Oh, okay. So... Huh, if I could give a tease, because you know I got to be a little candid and I got to be a little um, cryptic with it. Um, but Blanca is, she's in a different space in her life as far as her job. She is now in a system where she's caring for others. And I think as much as we've seen in the two seasons, there's going to be more depth. There's going to be more heartbreak, obviously, because in 1992, that's literally when everything was going crazy with the epidemic of HIV and AIDS. Um, the peaks were insane. Blanca may possibly have someone she's in love with. Who knows? And yeah, I think that's all I can tell you right now. <laughs> Thank you. I, I really needed that. <laughs> Well, I mean, you you shared that some of your family members have had issues with the coronavirus and your boyfriend is on the front lines, basically. How are you, like, feeling in this moment? Like, do you, I don't know if you're a religious person, but, like, are you praying? Like, do you find that you can't ignore your fears right now? You have to sort of give yourself space to process everything that's happening? Yeah, I mean, I will say this. I'm not in fear. I'm definitely scared, but I'm not in fear. And yes, I am a extremely spiritual person. I believe that there is something much more bigger than us. And I've been finding ways to do that by meditating. I never actually used to do that before. My closest friend, he actually introduced uh, meditation to me a long time ago. And I was just like, I don't know if I want to do that. It's something that opens doors that I don't want to open. And I was just being completely like, <laughs> just scared and didn't want to tap into a space of opening my mind and also learning how to breathe again. And with this pandemic, I had to really force myself to learn how to breathe again. And as many individuals know who walk this earth, we a lot of us hold our breaths even when we're walking down the street. A lot of us hold our breath a lot. And when you take the time to not only open your mind and clear it, you also see how you breathe and how you control your breathing. And it it's kind of, it's liberating in that way because it, it calms you and you start having a much more open and broader aspect of how you should be really living life. Like I said, I was never really in fear, but I was always scared of what could happen, not only to me, but to my family members, especially my uncle being on the front lines and him being an essential care worker. And especially my uncle, who is also going in and out of the, in and out of the house, who has to go in and out of the house because he's um, held to dialysis. So meditation has been my go-to. And I, yes, I also pray. I also, you know, look to the creator that I believe in and knowing that there will be something that is done and that we'll also get through this. Okay, MJ, before we go, I've got one last question for you. 
and it actually comes from the guest in our last episode, David Harbour. Here's what he wanted to know. What's the greatest single performance you've ever seen? Oh, I think the greatest single-handed performance I've seen, hands down, is Whoopi Goldberg as Miss Daly in The Color Purple. She was heart-wrenching. She was strong. She was also extremely resilient towards the end. And it also separated the stigma of her just simply being a comedian, and it showed range. She's definitely, hands down, one of the greatest single performances I've seen. Our next episode in this podcast features an interview with Milo Ventimiglia, who plays beloved patriarch Jack Pearson in NBC This Is Us. What would you want us to ask him? How is it being able to deal with children, actual children, on a set? Hmm. That's a good question. Because there's a lot of kids on that set. I don't know how they do it. You have a lot of personalities. Kids have great, like, they have so many wonderful personalities, and they say everything, and you can't be mad at them because they don't mean it. So I just wonder how he deals with probably all the questions that he gets. (laughs) Well, we'll ask him for sure. MJ, thank you so much for taking the time and, you know, sending you all the love and and we hope you stay well during this time. Thank you, you too, love. That's it for the second episode of Can't Stop Watching. I'm your host, Yvonne Villarreal. Our producer is Paige Heimson and our executive producer is Abby Fentress-Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Heflin and a special shout out to Elena Howe for booking the guests for this podcast. Come back tomorrow. We're talking to the actor Milo Ventimiglia. What I'm seeing is a community coming together and saying, well, how can we collectively draw up some plans and some parameters so we can all get back to work? You know, which again goes back to, it's not about the glory of the job, it's about the job. If you like Can't Stop Watching, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. Special thanks to Julia Turner, Matt Brennan, and Clint Shaw. We hope you're enjoying this podcast created by the journalists at the LA Times. Right now, access to facts has never been more important, and The Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe, because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. Visit latimes.com slash support LA Times to subscribe. Thanks for listening, and see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.